kind of joked with somebody the other day. I said Notre Dame's not going to go ten and two this year. They're either going to be a playoff team or they're going to be a four or five loss team. At Notre Dame, the school sort of sets dictates for what kind of program you're going to be. And I think Kelly's done a good job of laying out to the players what that means. It's the future. Down and distance. Play clock down to zero. They just get it off. Zaire with time over the middle, and it's a touchdown. It's a fake, and Kaiser's off and running in his seam. The quarterback in Owl's territory, winning a foot race. Touchdown, Irish. Down in distance right here, WGN Radio and WGNRadio.com. I am Sean Davis at SD2Mikes on Twitter. My God, the man, the myth, the legend, Jared Payton at Paytonson, P-A-Y-T-O-N-S-U-N, in association with the arena. Controversial weekend in South Bend. We thought it might have been quiet, right? Fall camp was over. Everybody's coming back to campus. Day off. Quiet. Then we wake up. News breaks. We started to hear about all of these suspensions happening. Six Notre Dame players are suspended. Here to talk about what's going on, not only with the quarterback situation and the suspensions, but I want to talk about Brian Kelly and how he's transitioning and handling things like this from when he first arrived until the way he handled this situation over the weekend. And we have on the line football analyst for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Brian Driscoll. Brian, welcome into Down and Distance. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, so, first of all, before we get into the particulars of the suspensions and the players involved this weekend, we know about Declan Sullivan. We know about the alleged assault cases, sexual assault cases that possibly led to a young lady committing suicide. And the way Brian Kelly handled that situation years ago, and he took a lot of flack for it. But just talk about how he dealt with this situation and how far and how comfortable he is now as the head coach at Notre Dame. You know, I, I think he's certainly grown into, sort of grown into his shoes, I guess, so to speak. And when you look at coming from a place like Cincinnati, I don't care how good of a football coach you are, how prepared you might be for that. When you go from a place like, you know, Central Michigan to Cincinnati, then to Notre Dame, you know, it, you just really can't prepare yourself for that. It's going to take you some time to really adjust to that and adapt to that environment. And I think he's, I think he's kind of gotten into that. I think he's more comfortable with himself now when you just look at how he handles the media. I think he's more comfortable with um, knowing really what Notre Dame's all about because that's really what this boils down to is, you know, you can't – and you're the head football coach in Notre Dame. You can't just make up your own rules and say, you know, well, we're going to handle things this way because this guy's a football player or this, that, and the other. At Notre Dame, you know, the, the, the school sort of sets the, the dictates for what kind of program you're going to be. And I think Kelly's done a good job of laying out to the players what that means. And it doesn't really matter if you're the starting quarterback. If you don't do what you need to do in the classroom, you're not going to be here. I don't care if you're our best wide receiver or our best cornerback or best defensive end like we saw two years ago. If you don't do what you're supposed to do in the classroom, you're not going to be here. And uh, same thing here. I don't care if you're a starting free safety. If you're a senior and you're out in the car and you're with a bunch of young kids and you're, you're doing what, you need, what you're doing here with Max Redfield and you've already been suspended for the bowl game, you're on thin ice. You're not going to be a part of our program, no matter what you might mean to us on the field, and that's just what makes Notre Dame a, a little bit different from from a lot of schools. You know, Brian, that's one of the things that gets to me is talking to you know, being from the Midwest, uh, going through a Catholic school up here in Chicago. A lot of kids who left where I went to school actually went to Notre Dame. One of my best friends graduated from Notre Dame, so I would always have these conversations with them over the time when I was at the University of Miami about. 
you know, the program and some of the guys that were there. And, um, you know, we need, you know, with the academic requirements, we we're not getting the same kind of players that are going to other schools. We understand that that's Notre Dame. So when people are talking about having guys with a little bit more edge, I'll say you need you need people with a little bit more edge to come in here to Notre Dame. Well, you see what can happen when things aren't maybe placed in the right way. And this weekend, it's I think people now are backing off that statement that I've talked to that said, man, you, you need guys that can come in here and be not only just good football players, but also good men for our university. You know, I've, I've never bought that, that mantra, you need more guys with edge. Because usually that, that's a – to me, that usually means a derogatory term. You know, you need more um, – more guys that maybe push the envelope. And, and I just don't think that's necessarily – I think when you look at, you know, what made Notre Dame so good in 2012, who was that guy in 2012? And who was that guy on defense that had that, quote, edge, that which is kind of a questionable character kind of guy? It wasn't that guy. You know, it was a bunch of tough, hard-nosed guys that were veterans that knew what to do, and they went out and they played with an edge on the field. And I think you can be a good student and a good person and be involved in your community – and when you strap on the helmet and you get out on the football field, you play like a crazy person. I don't think you have to be a, a crazy person off the field to translate that off to the field. I just, I've never accepted that. I've never um, really felt that that was something that you need to be good. On. And I think if you look at, you know, Jared, you look at your Miami teams. I mean, you look at a team in the early 2000s, and there's this idea that, you know, they were just like the previous teams. No, they weren't. DJ Williams didn't have that background. You know, there was a lot of guys on that football team that were good guys had good grades they weren't getting arrested and they were darn good football players so i just have never accepted that i i get you i'm with you either dj's background there but i mean we did we had some guys did come from different backgrounds and we we i knew sure. guys that had a little bit more of an edge but when you look at notre dame it, you think about what it means and when you look at it the golden dome i mean it, everything about it is just it's it's so clean when you look at it, right? And for yeah. for myself to wake up in the morning, and even though I don't really like Notre Dame, but I respect them for the program, I respect them as a school, to wake up in the morning to look, open up my, my, my newspaper, because I still look at the newspaper, and to look at all these faces, and I'm going, man, like... The, this is the day the season hasn't even started yet. Like the, the the opportunity, and when you look at the AP poll, and I'm looking at number ten and the schedule that this team has to make a run for a title, because that's the thing, Brian. You could look at back at that time and Manti Teo and no, in those years, but still, they got to that game. They didn't win that game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's it's different. This they're trying to win that game, and this right. year it. It's set up for them to win this game and to have this as a starting mark to me is just it, it's so tough when you already know that the, the, the scrutiny and I think the, the pressure and the target that everybody, every single game, people come in to play Notre Dame, whether they're ranked or whether they're not, they want to get the best of them. And I think that's such a hard thing to do of being a player that plays for Notre Dame. Oh, there's no question. I think this is not the way you want your season to start. You know, you want to get into the season, you want to have – no distractions, nobody's hurt, everybody's focused. When you go down to Austin, Texas, you want to have all hands on deck and, and ready to go. That's what you need. When you when Stanford comes to town, when Michigan State comes to town, when Miami goes comes to town, when you go on the road to USC at the end of the season, you, you want to have all you know, you want to have everybody available. At the same time, Jared, I think the thing I look about as a former football coach, things like this can have a a, a, a really strong effect on your football team one way or the other. 
And I think how the team reacts to this is really going to define what this season is all about. You know, you look at last year when they had all the injuries and things like that. That team decided, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to rally. We're going to rally around Deshaun. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're going to go out there and we're going to be a good football team. And they're a pretty good football team last year when you consider everything that they went through. I think the same thing happened in 2014 when you had the academic suspension. You lose your best wide receiver, your best cornerback, your best pass rusher. And the team said, you know what? We're going to go out there and, and we're going to rally together and we're going to play well. And, and they were a pretty good football team until they just got ravaged by injury. You know, I think started season six and one had Florida State on the ropes, beat Michigan 31 nothing. So uh, I think it can have that positive effect. But if you don't have the necessary leadership in place with the veterans, it can also be something that tears your locker room apart. We have Brian Driscoll right here down a distance on WGNRadio.com, an affiliation with the arena from Blue and Gold Illustrated. And we just talked about Max Redfield. He is gone from the Notre Dame program. But I want to get into some of the other guys that are also looking at possible suspensions. Kevin Stephenson Jr., Dexter Williams, Ashton White, and Tavon Coney. And then you have the the case that's separate with Devin Butler and his assault case, two felony charges. The prosecution decided to go after him and file those charges on yesterday. Give me the outlook for each player. It seems like with two felony charges that Devin Butler might be the next player to be dismissed from the actual program. Well, I think with Devin, I think that the, 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 the football team and the institution, rightly so, is going to kind of let this one play out right. in the legal system. They've indefinitely suspended him. Um, and, and I think Devin's background and Devin's track record at Notre Dame has afforded him that sort of grace period. He's a kid who's kind of done, always done everything you've asked him to do. And he's never been a kid that's gotten in trouble. He's never had issues academically, things like that. So I think this is such a, a situation that's such out of character for him that they're going to say, let's let this, let's let all the facts come out before we rush to judgment. You're indefinitely suspending a guy who was going to be out until mid-October anyway with an injury, right? So, uh, you know, that, that's not really an issue there. It's like, I, so I think they're rightly showing a little patience here and letting the legal system come out. I think we've seen enough just looking in the world today where news comes out and people rush to judgment. And then, you know, when, when all the facts come out, you, you realize, you know, my initial opinion, my initial impression was, was pretty wrong. And I think that's what Notre Dame is going to err on the side of caution here because he's not a guy that's going to play anyway. If he was healthy and ready to play against Texas, I think you, maybe you might have to see them rush a little bit more into a decision. Um, but uh, I, I don't think you need to do that now with Devin. So I think that one's going to be, remains to be seen. It's tough, man. It's tough because, I mean, right now he – Butler still has kind of the, the university there, but you know what happens, though, Brian, if that university is not there backing you still. I mean, then you're basically out there with the Sharks, you know what I mean? And that could be a scary, that could be a, a scary situation. And I, I get it because being a college student, and you know this, being a coach, it, it's hard. And, Sean, I'm not going to leave you out of this either, but you've been around. You know being around the guys, no one's perfect, right? And we're talking about young men that are still trying to find their way when they get to college, no matter what your background is or where you came from. You're no, most of the time, if you're not staying in your city, you're going to a different place, you're around different people, you're still trying to find yourself. You're still a kid. You're a young man, but you're still trying to find yourself. And one decision basically can alter your life for You forever. bring up something very interesting. I want to know from Brian, are recruits from the next two classes looking at how the coaches and the university handle this situation and whether or not they have the backs of their players in these type of situations? Oh, no question. No question about it. And I think that, look, if, if the coaches were to come out and condemn Devin and say, you know, you're this, you're that, we're, we're disassociating ourselves from the kid, and then all of a sudden come to find out, let's say, you know, hypothetically that there was a situation where, 
you know, he was defending himself against a situation that he really had no control over, right? And then when the facts come out, you know, he really wasn't in the wrong. I don't know if that's the case or not. So, so don't take this as me giving you information. I'm just saying, I think you want to know that your coach is going to have, have your back. And sometimes a coach looking out for you is suspending you. Sometimes a coach looking out for you is saying, hey, I'm going to take the thing you care the most about, football, away from you because we got to fix you as a human being. we got to get you right for the rest of your life. And yeah. I think kids that have an interest towards Notre Dame want a coach lockout. It's kind of like how Brian Kelly handled the academic suspension, the fact that you know, he was constantly talking to Kavari, the fact that he did have open arms for him to come back, the fact that they did bring Yishak Williams back into the program and try to make it work, and the fact that they did allow you know, these guys to stay in school and graduate. You know, even though that they couldn't play football anymore, I think shows that, hey, sometimes we got to take football away from you. But we still want to make sure that we're doing right by you as, as a person. And I think people see that, and I think players are going to gravitate towards that. I'm glad, Brian. I'm so glad you, you put it that way because I think people always see just the one side of things. Like, oh, you know, coaches trying to – I mean, these guys are going into these – kids houses with their parents and I know for a fact when Butch Davis walked into my house and all the other coaches that came in and the first thing that you know they would say to my dad would ask them was you know listen he's going to be far away from home are you going to you're going to look out for my son like he's yours and that's kind of one of the biggest things that coaches come into a house and when they're selling and and being truthful hopefully to the parents is that you're going to take care of my kid because he's going to be far away and sometimes you have to I have a four-year-old Brian I I have to take away his iPad because I know that's what he loves the most. And he, he, gets, right. back, he gets back on track when I have to do that. And I think football, guy, they love the game so much that sometimes you have to, you have to be tough with them. I, I have one issue with this team and, and to kind of move away from these suspensions. Brian, I'm forewarning you right now. I, Instead of worrying about his own quarterback situation down in Florida. No, we're good. He, good. he wants to text me Brad, all night Brad, about ours. Brad Kai, we'll, we'll be all right. I mean, I don't know if we're going to win the game, but Brad Kai, I really like him. But let's just go Let's just go here. I don't understand how in this day and age, and I, and I, I look back at other teams, and Sean and I have talked about this with, uh, you know, looking at the Golson and the Tommy Reese stuff. But those are two. Listen, apples and oranges. Those are apples and oranges. They're two guys that didn't run the same off, offense the same, I should say. But when I look at Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser, both guys are pretty similar. I, if you don't want to pick a quarterback, I get that. But to me – this thing can go either way. It's either going to go that Brian Kelly is a genius and then this thing works and it doesn't, or it's going to go down in flames. But it's hard for me to that through a season as the games go on that one of these guys is not going to get hot, which is going to limit it to one of the other guys' playing time. And I've, I'll tell you this. I believe if you're going to win a championship, Zaire needs to be the guy that has the football in his hand. I think that's a little bit more dynamic when you talk about I think both guys can move their feet, get around, but when you're looking at a guy that I think where college football is going and where it is right now, he's that guy, even with the lack of experience, I think is the guy that you need to be able to win a championship. Well, I'll tell you, I, I kind of joked with somebody the other day. I said Notre Dame's not going to go 10-2 this year. They're either going to be a playoff team or they're going to be a 4-5 or five loss team. I, and I think part of it is the defense, but part of it is this quarterback situation, like you mentioned, that this could either end up being a great thing that you get the, both, the best out of both players or one guy kind of separates himself from the other, or it's going to be something that tears the locker room apart. And, and again, that's that's the that's the one or the other. I just don't see that this being just kind of a decent situation. It's going to go one way or the other. 
I think Brian Kelly still hopes that one guy separates himself from the other guy. And when you go to fall camp, I mean, it, I understand the difficulty in the decision because when, when we watch practice, you see Malik's arm strength. You see his running ability. You watch Deshaun make just tremendous checks and audibles and putting the ball right on the money. I mean, putting the ball low and away when he needs to be low and away, getting the ball on the poster. He throws a gorgeous post route, gorgeous corner route. So it really is a difficult decision. And, and like you said, both guys can throw it and both guys can run it. So this is a lot different than the last two times they're inside a quarterback situation, you know, a two quarterback system. They had one in 1993. We talked about this on our podcast the other day. You know, Kevin McDougal was a starter, but they brought in Paul Fela for certain situations. But that was Kevin McDougal's team. In 2012, no matter what Tommy Reese did at the end of the game, that was Everett Golson's job, and everybody knew it. This is different because not only do you have two guys that sort of do a little bit of everything, but you have two guys who want to be the guy. Tommy Reese knew his role and accepted his role in 2012. Not saying he liked it, but he accepted it. Paul Fela accepted his role in, in, two, in, in 1993. I don't know if either one of these guys are going to be happy being the backup quarterback or the red zone quarterback or the short yardage quarterback. Right. And so that's obviously a concern. And, and what you have to hope is your, if you're Brian Kelly, is that one that they put their pride aside and say, okay, I want to win a title. That's more important to me than being the guy, which is much easier said than done. And, and, or you've got to hope that somebody kind of steps up in the first couple games and, and shows himself to be uh, the playmaker, the leader, that, that you need this this guy to be, and and I think I don't know who that guy's going to be. Um, I think that I said this before. I like Deshaun Kaiser a lot. I like Malik Zaire a lot. I really don't care who starts quarterback. I think Notre Dame can win a title with both of them. I just want someone, one of them, to step up and be the guy. Mm, see, I love that. You make me feel better about the situation, man. And I'm not even a true fan. I just I love college football, so it doesn't. To my, sometimes it's hard for me to strip down from my ties and where I'm from because I just. I truly, truly love. I love college football more than I like professional football. I, I could care care less about Sundays either. I have to cover the Bears and cover the NFL, but it, it's something about college football that just gets you. And both these guys are very deserving. My show came down to media day and just listening to the bites, and I was listening to them over and over. Be and both guys are like, what I what I heard Zaire go, I've never heard of this before. Like I'm not he. I could definitely tell that he doesn't like this at all. And you can't tell me that there's guys in that locker room that they're got their friends with that want, yo man, I think you should be starting. No, I think you should be starting. That's a mm-hmm. that's a dangerous recipe. Now, while, man. It's funny you say that it is. Brian Kelly was very adamant saying that the locker room doesn't care. Nah, I don't I it's hard for me to believe that the locker room doesn't care. I've seen it before where guys I believe you should be the starter. And the guys are talking in your ear and it's it, it just causes problems, man. I just feel like sometimes you have to go with go with the gut and say this is going to be my guy. And if it doesn't work out, then you change. And I still think, dude, Brock Berlin was that guy, right? Derek Crudup was his backup, and guys were saying that Derek needed to be the starter in two thousand and three. And I was in that. I was I was torn between dude. Derek's my friend, and then I'm watching. I, I lived it. Well, it wasn't you know, good. You knew my feelings about Brock Berlin, and they were similar to what Brian has talked about, the difference in this defense possibly elevating this year and being better. The production at the middle linebacker oh. situation. Oh. Brian, you, you've talked about this the last year in your writings and even on the podcast, how you feel like this year the production will be much better than it's been over the previous two years and how that can elevate the defense. 
You know, talk about that and how impactful you think Niles Morgan can be on this defense. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people wonder how can the defense be better when you lose Sheldon Day and you, you know, who, who was a first team All American according to USA Today and had 15 tackles to loss. How can you be better without Jalen Smith, who we all know would have been a top 10 pick if it's not for the knee injury, who was a consensus All American? How can you be better without? Kavari Russell and, and Romeo Guar, who's killing in the preseason right now. Um, and, and the thing that I say is, is it's, it's the same reason they were better in 2012 after they lost Harrison Smith and Robert Blanton and Darius Fleming. Sometimes the sum is better than the individual parts, and I think that's the key with this defense. And I think the other factor is, is you know, you could have a great individual player, but if he's not at a position where the defense is kind of built around that, then, then you know, he's not going to quite have the big impact. You know, when you look at the Mike linebacker, that's the position that this defense is built around. If he plays well, this defense is pretty good. I think you go back to the beginning of the 2014 season before Joe Schmidt got hurt. He was a pretty solid football player, and that was the best defense Notre Dame's played under Brian McGuire. And, and so that's the position where you need a guy to be able to come up and make plays. I mean, I could count 25, 30 times last year where there was an opportunity for a Mike linebacker to step up and make a play on third and two or second and five. To, to put that team in position to come up with a stop. And, I mean, USC game, there was five situations like that. And it wasn't just a Mike linebacker. And, and, and that's really what it is, is you need that guy to make that stop. Manti Taylor made those plays in 2012, and that's what made the defense so good. Miles Morgan has a chance to be that kind of guy. He's dynamic, he's athletic, he's physical. And, you know, I think the thing that he doesn't get enough credit for is the work he's put in to becoming a leader, to become the quarterback of the defense, he hasn't relied just on being physically gifted. He's really understood the need to, okay, i got to get it upstairs as well. And I think that's really been the biggest difference between what we've seen. He's got a chance to be an impact player. And if the mic's playing well, it really makes everybody else around him better, the way that this defense is constructed. And what makes a linebacker even better is when he has a good front four in front of him. And yes. this front four is very stout. They definitely should be able to handle the run. I want to know how they're going to get to the quarterback and who's going to be efficient at doing that. That's a great question. I've kind of joked on our podcast that they're starting four defensive tackles, which they really are. Um, you know, and so I think that that's another reason I think the, the Mike linebacker is going to be better because you do have big physical scout guys that are going to hold gaps, eat blocks, and let the linebackers run free. Really, the pass rush is going to come down to you need Andrew Trimbetti to step up and have a, a good season. You need him to finally tap into that, that skill that made him an Under Armour All-American and an ESPN top 100 player in the country. Dalen Hayes is a five-star guy coming in from rivals. Super athletic. You know, when you watch a, uh, watch a team play and then there's just that, that couple guys that just kind of stand out, and, oh, that, that guy looks a little different. That guy, that guy moves a little different than everybody else. That's Dalen Hayes. And there's two guys on defense that, that look like that, Dalen Hayes and Niles Morty. And so you need him to stay healthy and really provide that. And the other part of it is it's going to come from Brian Van Gorder's schemes. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, okay, so I'm just telling you this is how it is. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just how it is. So Brian Van Gorder's kind of from that, that Rex Ryan scheme of football that I don't need a great pass rusher. Give me athletes and, and give me the tools, and then I can generate a pass rush with our zone fires and you know, bringing three off this edge or whatever the case may be. So – I think if Notre Dame's going to get after the quarterback this year, you need the first two guys we discussed to step up. But the other part is is that's another area where Niles Morgan is going to be effective. If you go back and look at the stats last year, Pro Football Focus had Joe Schmidt having come on 81 blitzes last year. That, the next closest guy was Jalen Smith with 46. 
So now you've got Miles Morgan coming on those pressures. So I think that you'll see those be more effective. Whereas last year, maybe those Mike pressures were just a second too late. Now they're hitting home. Quarterback either getting sacked or, or getting thrown the ball as he's as he's getting hit, and that's when you start forcing turnovers. So I think really that's where it's going to be where it's going to come from. How good is Cole Luke, and who ends up eventually being his partner in crime? He's outstanding. I mean, you go back to the 2014 season, his first year as a starter, when teams actually tried to throw at him, and you look at who he went against. You know, Rashad Green, Devontae Parker, Devin Funches. I mean, you just go down the list, Ty Montgomery. I still have memories of him just abusing Ty Montgomery in that game at home in 2014. To me, he's out. He, he, it, last year, I think he kind of lost a little bit. Of, I think having Kavari Russell come in and be that alpha dog, I think Cole took too much of a step back and let Kavari be that guy. Now Cole's back to being that guy, and he's just been outstanding in camp. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy that they're, they, they're playing more press coverage with him. They're allowing him to come down and be more aggressive in coverage. So I expect a, a really, really big year from him. Good question on his partner in crime. I think week one I would expect it to be Sean Crawford when they're in their base defense, uh, who's a redshirt freshman from, from Cleveland. Outstanding player, extremely athletic. The only issue is five, eight and a half, you know, and, and you got to be pretty gifted to, to be successful when you're that five. Nick Coleman is another sophomore who, who is going to play when they go to their nickel package, which I actually think they're going to be in a lot in the opener against Texas. You're going to see Nick Coleman playing corner and Sean Crawford staying inside. The hope for Notre Dame, I think, is that Nick Watkins, who's been out all camp with an arm injury, can get healthy pretty early and come back because I think he's the guy they'd ideally want. He's 6'1", 200, physical, good press man coverage. Ideally, if you can get two two corners to come up and play physical to the line and take away the quick game, now all of a sudden your pressure package becomes a lot more effective because you're not giving up those quick hitches, quick slants, quick outs that a lot of teams used to beat Notre Dame last year when they pressured because they just didn't have the cornerback confidence to come up and play like that. Man, B, you know what, man? You're getting me juiced up over here. Like, I just want to put some pads on real quick and maybe see if I got one more go in the arena league. One more couple. Nah, let me just let me shut that down. <laughs> let me shut that down right now. I didn't ask you this question when I was talking about the quarterbacks since we started talking defense. But that's another question. You talked about you don't care who the quarterback is. You just want one of the guys to be able to be come out and jump on top. But the wide receiver game, who are they going to be throwing to? You know, that's one position. And I used to coach receivers in college. So that's kind of, that's kind of my baby position. You know, I played quarterback, but I loved coaching receivers. Quarterbacks are a little bit too needy for me. You know what I mean? So um, uh, that's a position. I think when you look at college football in the past 10 years, I think the two positions where you can throw a young guy in and just say, go be talented, it's corner and receiver. And, and I think that you've seen sort of that, that happen this, this fall. Torrey Hunter, junior, senior, stepped up, solid player. People forget, before his injury, he was the, most high, he was the highest ranked receiver in that class ahead of Will Fuller and Corey Robbins. He's finally healthy, looks great, running real sharp routes. Not the downfield threat Will Fuller was. He's more of a T.J. Jones kind of player. Um, but the two guys that have really caught my eye at fall camp are, number one is C.J. Sanders. We saw him last year as a kick returner, had a punt return for a touchdown against uh, UMass that, that really broke that game open, had the kick return against Stanford. Very dynamic player. It's kind of sad watching the Notre Dame safeties and linebackers trying to cover him in one-on-one. It's almost like when he lines up, like, okay, let's see what happens now. And it's not really fair to the, to the guys that they're covering. He's just so quick and he's so electric. He's very hard to run with, and he's had a great fall camp. 
I think the other guy to keep an eye on is Equinemius St. Brown. He actually goes against Cole Luke almost every rep, and I love it. I love the fact that they don't put every hunter, you know, in one on ones because it's like, you know, we know what Thor can do. We know what Cole can do. Let's have Cole go against Equinemius. Early in camp, it wasn't, it wasn't good for Equinemius. But as you see, as camp goes on, because Cole Luke is so good, it forced Equinemius to really become a more fundamentally sound player. And as that's happened, he's become almost unguardable at times of practice. So, and again, this is practice. So, you know, that's the reason the hyperbole. You guys know how practice is. There's going to there's gonna be times like that. It's, it's practice, okay? But he's looked outstanding, and I think he's a guy that can develop into a big-time downfield weapon. And I, I think the other factor that comes into it, too, guys, is when you don't have a guy, you want to have depth, and they have that. They've got Miles Boykin from Providence Catholic, who's, you know, 6'4", 225, just a He's one of those guys who say, well, you know, he's not fast enough to get open. It's like, I don't care. He's always open. Just fold up and let him use those extremely long arms to go up and get it. Let him out and muscle people. And they're figuring that out. And they've got a freshman named Javon McKinley, who I think has got a chance to be a really special player, as is Chase Claypool. So I don't see one guy having a Will Fuller-type season. I think one week it's going to be Torrey Hunter. One week it's going to be C.J. Sanders. One week it's going to be St. Brown. I think as a unit, they're going to be good enough when you consider just how good they're going to be running the football to be able to make enough plays to uh, be a championship, you know, unit. It's funny because a lot of people seem to think if Malik Zaire is in there, it actually aids the running game a little bit more, and possibly if Kaiser's in there, it aids the passing game. When you talk about the receivers, a guy like C.J. Sanders, do you think he gets more looks if Kaiser's the guy running the show and Malik might be more apt to go deep to a guy like St. Brown? You know, I've read that, and I kind of think it's the reverse. Okay. I think if Malik's in the game and you're not worried about you know him being as effective passing the football as you are with Kaiser, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to put nine in the box. You're going to play more cover four or cover one where you're going to get your safeties down, and now all of a sudden you got more guys you got to block. And, you know, we saw that last year when, when teams early, early on with Kaiser would do that. Clemson basically said, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to throw the football because we're not going to let you run on us. So they had eight, nine guys in the box. They, run, they were doing run stunts all game. So – I think with Kaiser in the game, I think that helps the run game because you've got to respect the pass game more. I think when Zaire's in the game, I think you create more big play pass opportunities, as we saw last year. Texas tried to put guys in the box and come down, and they left Will Fuller one-on-one. Big mistake. You know, Pitt tried to do the same thing. Pitt said, okay, you guys are running all over everybody, so we're going to play cover four, aggressive cover four, and we're going to ask our corners to play Will Fuller. Big mistake. So I think it's kind of reverse, and, and um, you know, I think really what it boils down to is I, I, it's kind of a cop-out, I know. I realize that, guys, but I, I honestly think that both quarterbacks have developed to the point where Malik's a good enough passer to where if you want to take away the run game, he can still hurt you. And Kaiser showed last year that if you want to focus on stopping the pass game, he can hurt you. So I really don't think, you know, I think people are kind of looking for a – for something to say, well, okay, that's why you got to start that guy. And, and I just don't think it's the case. I think it's really going to come down to leadership, intangibles, and who makes the fewest mistakes. I think that's going to be ultimately what, what sets these two guys apart. All right, we've already gotten your prediction. You said this team is either going to be in the college football playoffs or they're going to be a four-loss <laughs> team. Uh-oh. Not going to be lukewarm. No more 10-2. and two. So give me, yeah. your, give me your games to watch, the games that scare you the most. And I know one of them is not going to be October 29th. You can mark that down. That's a W. I'm going to get into that. 
We'll, matter of fact, we'll be yeah, there. Yeah, that, that, that's a tough one. When you lose two or three of your front seven players against a team like Notre Dame, I don't care how much time you have to prepare. That's, that's not going to go well for you. We're going to find you. We'll both be there in the building on that particular day. <laughs> We're gonna, yeah, listen, Brian, this is going to be fun, man, in the next couple of years, though, man. we Just wait. This, this Miami yeah. swag's but coming back, bro. Give me Let's your go. two. Give me your hey, two. Hey, look, games, Jared, I'm a, I'm a big Mark Rick fan, so so I, I do expect him to uh, to get things turned around. It's just not going to be on October 29th, no. my friend. I, I can understand. Go the ahead. two or three games that scare you the most on the Notre Dame schedule. I think anytime USC has got the talent that they have, they're young, they're experienced, they've got some holes, but they've got talent. And, and when you're playing them on the road, that's always a game you have to be concerned with. I don't care if they're six and five at the time. It's you know how rivalries game, rivalry games go. So that's a team that always kind of concerns me when they have the talent that they have. I think by week 12, some of those young guys aren't going to be, you know, as inexperienced as they are when they play BAM in week one. So that's certainly a game that, that has me a little bit concerned. I think you look at NC State, that's just one of those games. NC State every three or four years is just going to play that home game against some opponent they have no business being in the game against. They play the game of their lives. That's always one that concerns me a little bit. I think their offense is kind of adjusting this year. They're going to a little bit more of that Boise State kind of offense with the new offensive coordinator hired. They've got some good weapons. Crowd's going to be crazy. That's a game I'm a little concerned with. And the other one's the opener. And, and honestly, I think I think openers can really have a big impact on just kind of what what kind of team you're going to become. And I think we looked in, in 2006 for the game. You know, they, they struggled with that opener against against Georgia Tech. And the offense just never quite got in rhythm really the rest of the year. And I'm not saying it's because of that, but I think it certainly didn't help. Uh, you know, when you look at their the early season games in 20, 2005, you know, they came out in game one and just were smoking. So I think coming out against Texas, establishing your identity, finding out who you're going to be offensively, and, and really the defense has got to build some early season confidence. And I think that's the game that concerns me because you're talking about a team that you know, Notre Dame fans see Texas and they think they can't run on us because of what Notre Dame did to them in week one. But if you go look at what Texas did the next 11 games, they finished 17th in the country in rushing. Their last four games of the year, they averaged almost 300 yards a game rushing. Notre Dame was 72nd in the country in rushing defense. They're going with a game with no Jalen Smith, with no Sheldon Day. So that, to me, is a really concerning game because if that game doesn't go your way, then that could set you up for a major disappointment the next few weeks. So I think those are the three games that, to me, are the must-win games, but they're also the games that are going to tell you the most about what kind of team Notre Dame has. So that opening game, you're probably scared more if they actually start Bouchelle because of his ability to pass? Um, you know, that, that's a good question because I'd say yes because they do have some talented receivers, but at the same time, you then say, well, but it's a freshman, and a freshman's taking his first snaps in that environment against Notre Dame, maybe he gets overwhelmed. I think the thing I'm most concerned about, to be honest with you, is that they start swoops and then go to Michelle in the late first, second quarter. Because then some of that pressure's taken off of him, you know, a little bit, and he can kind of go out and just play. So I think that's probably the thing that I'm most concerned about. But to me, if they can stop the running game, then they win that game in a blowout. Because if you can force Texas to throw the ball, to where they have to throw to move the ball, then then I don't care who their quarterback is. They're not going to be that good in week one. By week eight, nine, ten, different story. But if they can be balanced and establish the run game, and not even big run, just four, five, six, seven yards of pop, and then you got to start slowly creeping into the box, 
that's when you get concerned. But if they can shut down the run game with the front six or seven, force Texas to get the ball out to the perimeter, they're going to be in good shape. All right, man. I got Brian Driscoll, Blue and Gold Illustrated. Dude. Now you see why I love this man. Brian, you are. Following Notre Dame. You People are. Follow beast, him man. on blueandgold.com. Also, the Irish Huddle podcast with Lou Samoji. I believe you guys post that every Monday throughout the season, correct? Yeah, we will have it on Tuesday, obviously, after the first game, but we'll have it every Monday, and we'll also have a debate podcast every Wednesday this year. And it's wonderful. Follow this guy right now on Twitter, Brian Driscoll. You can follow him at BGI underscore Coach D. That's BGI underscore Coach D. Thanks for joining us on Down the Distance. We look forward to having you back on sometime during the season. Thanks for having me on, guys.